you know, when you're in such a dark place, you, you just don't see any light. But like one little bit can light up like a very dark space in a very short amount of time. And um, it was that light and it kind of like ignited. And then I was like, kind of sort of following it, you know. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 15 of the podcast. In this episode, I talked to Joe Kepler. Joe has just recently won the Carcliffe 100 miler, so we talk about her win and we also get to know Joe. Joe tells us about how she managed to fight alcohol and drug addiction and how she got help. I'll admit, this has been one of my favorite chats so far. Joe had me in tears. I hope you enjoy getting to hear Joe's story as much as I did. Here's my chat with Joe. Hi, Joe. Hi, Linda. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so I'm going to go straight into it. Congratulations on the win at Carcliffe. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's still a, like, kind of can't believe it, hey? Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It was, uh, you know, I must say that that last loop was a bit of a blur, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The heat was was terrible. Hey, how did you cope? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. Okay, I have to be honest. I had an amazing crew. I really did. They were fantastic at Tappy Crossing. I think that was like midday, and it was super, super hot. Yeah, and um, yeah. it wasn't like a proper aid station, so there wasn't a lot of ice or water, anything like that. But my mom and her friend and other good friends of mine were all there and they all had ice and water and they were, yeah, just cooling us down. And what was awesome is they did it for a lot of the other runners that came through as well, which was pretty special. So, yeah, I, I think just having those, like a bit of ice and um, something cool to drink just lowers that, that body temperature yeah. a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was kind of like, it was difficult to eat because I, I felt quite nauseous in the, in the heat, but it was trying to just force myself, you know, to get something down every like hour type thing. But yeah, I must say that last lap, uh, I really, it was quite hard. I think what happened was like I came through and it was kind of like this finish line. Yeah. And then like I had to do another loop and, and mentally my mind was a bit like, what are you doing? <laughs> my, body my body wasn't working how I wanted it to. <laughs> Yeah, I must say that last loop was like mental torture because you're there, you're, you, you've arrived now at Carcliffe Country Club. You think I'm done, this is it. And yeah. then you still have to do another loop. Yeah, and I mean, like, you think just our 15 days is not long and then, like, you start and you're like, wow, 15 days is super long. <laughs> <laughs> After you've done 150 Ks, it's like, it's like, okay, now. Oh. And then, like, you see cows and these poor little cows are just in the field eating their grass and you're like, you like feel angry with them because they look so happy. Yeah, because everything is so calm and peaceful and they're just lazy yeah. doing their thing. And yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you did really well, Joe. So I don't know if you uh saw or heard the um, live chat I had with Jack before the race. And I said Joe's winning the hundred. I did actually. I listened to it before um our interview today. So yeah, I really thank you. <laughs> I'm always that was so awesome. 
Oh yeah, I'm always nervous to say who I think is going to win just in case they hear it and then it puts them under pressure or anything, especially if it's someone I know. But if I yeah. bet some money, I would have made lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. Oh, I hope hopefully next time we can yeah, play some bets. <laughs> well, you worked very hard, so you definitely deserve the win because you put in so much work. So well done. Thanks, Linda. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so tell us about Joe. Who is Joe? Oh. <laughs> um, so um I don't I'd like to think oh that I'm I'm a so I'm a runner, okay, and I'm an ultra runner. Um I'm a mum, I'm a wife, you know, I'm a daughter and a sister and a friend and a colleague and a supply manager. And you know, above all of that, well actually the reality is I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic. Okay. Um, and why I say that and laugh because um, I think for me, you know, my whole life it was um, I didn't actually know who I was and I was always chasing these different kind of, you know, I always presented myself in a certain way to different groups of people, which I thought where I thought I could be accepted or that's what they wanted. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, if I could meet that expectation, then I'll I'll be accepted or I'll be loved or, you know, so I was constantly changing, I, you know, changed jobs a lot and just who I was really. And um, since 2019, um, when I admitted myself into a treatment center, um, it, it was there where I, I just accepted that um, I, I was an alcoholic and that I had a, a drinking problem and an addiction problem. Okay, so I don't know how deep you want to go with with that. Obviously, we have like questions and how we were going to do it, but I'm keen to just go straight into it and talk about what made you come to the conclusion that you were an alcoholic, like what sort of things were happening in your life that made you think I need to get help? Um, so yeah, Linda, I think from like quite a young age, uh, I just I always knew I was a bit different to other people. Um I just kind of was hypersensitive to what was going on around me. And um, I, I took on a lot of people's pain, you know, and I wanted to fix everything. And I felt like this immense guilt when, when things around me weren't okay. And um, I just thought that was kind of normal. And, you know, then I kind of started lying a lot as a child and all of that. And, I mean, to cut, to cut a long story short, uh, I just... Uh, I didn't do things like other people did. And then it became an issue when I was just drinking way too much and using and just trying to numb myself. And the issue was, you know, I was trying to get help. I was seeing psychologists and psychiatrists and, you know, no disrespect to them. You know, I think there's a place for everyone in this world. And, you know, they all seek help differently. But, yeah. but for people like me, um, who's just a plain old alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was going to see all these people and like they were giving me this diagnosis and that diagnosis and I was just depressed and I was just this and just that. When in the meantime, I was actually just an alcoholic and I needed to stop drinking. That was it, the simple truth. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know why, but no one could just tell me that until I went to the treatment center I went to in 2019. And... Um, I went, I remember, you know, I walked into the, uh, when I walked in the counsellor there, kind of said to me, she asked me why I was there. And I said, oh, well, you know, I'm just trying to kind of keep the peace and I want to get everyone off my back. And, you know, I didn't really think there was anything too wrong with me, but there was a lot going on, which I, if you want, I can go into detail from like start to finish. 
But, um, you know, I, I just said to her, you know, I'm here to kind of just you know, get everyone off my back. And I said, but I'm a good mom. And, like, she turned around and said to me, well, Joe, good moms don't go to rehab. Yeah, like, I'll never, ever forget that, hey? Yeah, that was quite hard. It was kind of a hard acceptance, but but it was the, the truth. Wow, Joe. Okay, so I I will want to go deep. <laughs> okay. No, I'm, cool. I'm that person. Yeah, so what was actually going on? Obviously, something must have triggered for you to say, let me go to rehab. Like, what was that thing? And what else was going on? So, okay, so from, like, kind of the beginning, um, it was, like, you know, I remember, for, so from a young age, from, like, about maybe 11, um, I have shared this before, but, like, I remember kind of going to, so we we Greek, my family's Greek, and, like, you know, everyone kind of sit around the table and have a little bit of gla- a glass of wine to, like, cheers and whatnot. And, um, like, all the other kids would kind of have a slip and, you know, pull a face and put it down, and, like, I would I would carry on, you know, and I would go around and take all their glasses and drink. And, like, at that age, I remember, like, having this feeling, and it was, like, oh, you know, just, like, this relief, you know, like, Oh my gosh! Was, I don't know. It was like I don't know, like a freedom. It was it was very very strange. I couldn't explain it because in the same breath I felt terribly ill. Yeah. Um. But what was what was weird was the next day I never, you know, it wasn't the feeling of being ill that I remembered. It was the feeling of like oh my gosh, I've arrived. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, at that age, you kind of have that feeling. You know, there's something not okay. Um. You know, I, I think on top of that, I, I, I did suffer, um, well, not suffer, I don't like that word, but, you know, I was I was sexually abused as a child, which I think also did have a, a part to play in, you know, what happened in my life and the decisions thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I think then the drinking kind of became a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I... I so that was like at that age, and then kind of my teens hit very um sporty at school, junior school, and yeah, I was like a captain and this that and the next thing. But by the time I got to high school, I was already drinking and smoking and carrying on, and I totally lost interest in sport. So I never actually did any sports in high school at yeah. all. <laughs> so I mean, like oh, I played a bit of hockey here and there, but. I was always so hungover on a Saturday. So, like, waking up to play hockey on a Saturday was, like, just a nightmare. And, yeah, so from high school, like, you know, I started experimenting with other drugs. It was from, like, marijuana to cocaine and ecstasy and all of that from, like, quite a young age. Um, And, I mean, a side note there, (laughs) there is so much of it going around that people just don't know of. And it's being exposed to so many young kids and in all schools including private schools. And I just think it's, it's quite, I think a lot of parents aren't, their eyes aren't open to the reality. And again, when I speak, like sometimes maybe people don't like what I have to say because mm-hmm. it's quite scary, but, but it's the truth. You know, it's, it's rough. <laughs> um, and especially amongst children that are 14, 15, 16 years old. So, yeah, I mean, that was going on. And then, yeah, and then I, I developed an eating disorder. I, I was at, at the age of 16. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, that was like me trying just to fit in. So I just, 
I went to a girls' school and I just hated the way I looked. Like I hated the way I, I just thought I was just like just disgusting. And um, I, I was just so desperate to be someone else. And like what was nice was like the drugs and the alcohol did that for a bit because when I drank or when I used it was like, okay, like I don't have to be me. Like I can be anyone else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know, it it also wasn't enough. Like I was like, oh, but maybe if I'm thinner, then I'll feel better. Maybe if I'm thinner, then like people will like me more. And um, yeah, it was just constantly just about wanting to be accepted and loved. <laughs> and you know what I've realized now is that I was loved. I was so loved by like an amazing family and like special people. But like where I was at that stage, like it just wasn't enough for me. Um. And so, so yeah, like high school was pretty much, yeah, I was pretty much nowhere, but I somehow I did pretty well academically. Um, I just think I, I was very blessed or lucky. Yeah, and then I, I took a gap year um, where I went, I went to Greece and there, I mean, I totally went off the rails. I was severely underweight. I think I was about 45 kgs. I ended up getting burnt with fire. I got like third degree burns on my arms and on my chest because uh, I went to go cook something and then I forgot about it. I went to buy cigarettes and came back and there was like this flame and I tried to move the pot. And anyway, like I ended up in hospital and my mother, who was seconding me at um, Parkview, she ended up flying from South Africa to Greece, like see what was going on because she was like, like, you know, where? where's my daughter? What the hell is going on? You know, to find me in a hospital bed with third degree burns and weighing 45 kgs. I mean, like, that's why it's just such a miracle for my mom to see me where I am today. Yeah. Um, You know, people don't realize that. Like, they just see me and my mom and they see her supports me on the runs, but she's seen me, like, really, like, almost in pieces, you know? Um, So, so yeah, that that was pretty much... um, that was the, the gap year. Then, you know, my mom brought me back. And, yeah, from from there, you know, to be honest with you, like, it's the life of, of someone who struggles with, like, addiction, alcoholism, eating disorder, um, you know, it's it's pretty much the same stuff. It's, like, this, this terrible nightmare of this, like, recurring insanity that never ends. And you just keep doing the same shit, expecting different results, and, like, it doesn't happen. And, you know, so I just went through heaps and heaps of pain, and like I said earlier, like, seeing psychologists, psychiatrists, being diagnosed with that, going into treatment centers where they didn't tell me I'm an alcoholic. They said, oh, shame, Joe, it's because you went through this. Oh, poor Joe, it's because of this. And, you know, all of it was like, oh, victim, victim, victim. Yeah. And... You know, like, I'm such a firm believer in, like, the power of the mind. And if somebody tells you something enough times, you will believe it and you will become it. That's true. You manifest your own, you know, in your mind, you can create your own life, your own destiny. And so, like, I started believing all this stuff. And I'm like, well, this this isn't my fault. This isn't my fault. I mean, I would get drunk and do really stupid things and wake up the next day and that, well, it wasn't my fault. I was drunk. And I'm drunk because I'm, I've got issues. You yeah. know, so it was like constantly, like, passing the blame, not taking responsibility. Like, yeah, I'm a victim of life. All of that, you know. and. You know, I had my son when I was very young. And even that, like, I tried to stop and then I couldn't. 
And, you know, uh, just there's, I think, a lot of parents or mothers that maybe go through similar things. And, you know, one would think, you know, the love for a child would help you stop that. But but it's such a powerful disease and people don't understand. It's not a choice. It is a disease. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't choose to drink. You don't choose to be an alcoholic. It's a disease. And it's so powerful that no matter what is threatened in your life, like all you want is that feeling because that's the only thing that you think is real. You know, everything else is, yeah, it's, it's very hard to explain, but I often see people quite critical and they say oh well um it's a choice they chose to drink they chose to use and I, I just really don't believe there's enough education around addiction and alcoholism so so yeah I mean that was that you know I also what I did in that time so that was like when I was like 22 21 22 23 um I did start running a bit yeah. um because I, I did suffer terribly with postnatal depression so I I was running quite a lot and I even did a marathon in that time and I did it in under four hours wow. without much training. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I did that and then I didn't run for like six months afterwards. <laughs> so yeah, it was nothing. It was very like everything I was doing was very fleeting and um, like quick fix solutions but nothing was sticking you know mm -hmm. I was just jumped from one thing to the next um you know and then I met my, my husband and we got married and I thought okay now it's it now like married children family like I'm done like I've got my got my solution yeah and you, you know what like it wasn't my solution still so like things would kind of be okay I'd stop for a while and then like something would spark and then I, I would be back on it and like it was just this constant um like you know kind of spiraling down and then climbing back up and then falling down and just but never kind of getting over that that edge you know mm -hmm. like crawling up this barrel and then slipping down again and um yeah and then so I was it was when was it it was 2018 because it was the year I turned 50 so in that year, things got like really bad. So also I'd had a dream when I was younger that I was going to die when I was 30. So I was like, no, I'm going to die when I'm 30 and it's fine. Like I've made peace with it. And the way I was carrying on, like I was really sick. I was having seizures. I had a car accident. Like my hair was falling out. Um, I had like these sores all over my body and like they weren't healing. I had cellulitis which is a bacterial disease and yeah I kind of has had like resigned to the fact that like okay I'm done like my life's over and I'm I'm quite happy with that like you know just let me die mm -hmm. and I think I'd even said to my husband like you know you must find a new wife so that Leo can have a mom and you can have a wife um and like he you know he say things he's like what are you talking about but like that's that's where I got to like I'd I'd given up yeah. that I was done but I remember I remember watching that movie the 100 mile horizon I don't know if you ever saw that I haven't seen it and Toby did suggest it as well so yeah. it's on my list for because I think I spoke to Toby like two weeks before Carcliffe and yeah my life has been hectic since then but yeah tell me about you watching the movie yeah, no, so um, it was, it's actually Andre Redinger, who I now work with, and he's a very good friend of mine. Um, he, 
so he did the car Kloof 100 miler in 2017 and they did this like short movie of his journey and um he had hit rock bottom and went to rehab and then was running 100 miles so I'm like now in the thick of my stuff and I'm like ready to give up and I watched this movie and I remember like just crying like and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and being like oh my gosh like I can't believe this guy ran 100 miles after like he went through what I've been going through and then I was like no no, no it can't be worse as, as bad as me you know yeah <laughs> so again like you know me protecting my disease um and then uh what was funny was at the end of 2018, um, a friend of my husband's actually said, you know what, you guys need help. Let me introduce you to um, the Andre, who was in the movie. Um, and he then said, okay, he said to me, and I was like in pieces. And he said, you know, Joe, you're going you're gonna to do great things one day. And I was like, oh, what are you talking about? Whatever. Yeah. Um, and, but like, it was funny because I, I was actually given like a bit of life. I, like I shared, I think on my post for, after winning car proof, it's like, you know, when you're in such a dark place, you, you just don't see any light. But like one little bit can light up like a very dark space in a very short amount of time. And um, it was that light and it kind of like ignited. And then I was like, kind of started following it, you know. Yeah, with that, he introduced me to my sponsor, who's still my sponsor today, funny enough. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, Joe, I already suggest you go into treatment. And I was like, no, I don't need to go. I'll go to AA meetings and whatever. And anyway, I never made it to any of the AA meetings. And about a month later, I said, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not managing to stop. So yeah. And then I went into this treatment center, which was the Cedars. And yeah, that was the one that changed my life because I'd been to two um, previous ones and they they were, yeah, those were the ones where I was kind of put on a lot of meds and they never helped. But when I went to Cedars, they had a very different approach and there it was like, you know, we kind of go off all mood and mind altering medication and that's where I was told that I was just an alcoholic and I needed to stop drinking. And yeah, what's quite cool is their, their program there, it's, it's a 12-step program and it's, it's based, it's actually a spiritual one. So, yeah, when I say spiritual, it's, it's not religious, um, but spiritual. So a big part of that program is accepting, okay, number one, that you're an alcoholic or an addict. And then it's, you know, um, also you, you have to realize that there's a power greater than yourself and you need to surrender and hand over. And, um, yeah, that was super powerful for me because I was like, okay, like I'm going to stop now trying to play God and um, I'm going to hand over and just have faith. And like from the day I did that and combined with a bit of willingness and, um, yeah, a bit of fighting too, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, my life started to change. In, in really amazing ways and it continues to do so um but it, yeah I mean I, what I loved about that place and what I still love about it because I'm in touch with a lot of people that work there and that have been there it's, you know the program's all about giving giving back and they they used to say to us like you can only keep what you have by giving it away and it was always about like you know sharing the message with the still suffering addict or alcoholic and you know for me that's my primary purpose so so yeah like coming out of rehab and then like starting to run and then doing well I wasn't on social media or anything like that and when I kind of something like a switch turned for me because I was like you know 
feel that my life is a testimony to, to how how one how things can change when you when you find a solution and you know I need to be honest about it and not hide who I am and that's when I started my Instagram account and the first picture I ever posted on that was the day I went into treatment yeah I started building on that <laughs> so first of all um I don't know a lot about uh rehab and stuff yeah. but I listened to quite a lot of ritual and he was also an alcoholic and basically he also has a similar story so I know a lot secondhand about the 12 step process and everything and so first of all I have to say kudos to you for actually going for treatment and when it didn't work going for treatment again and then going for treatment again I think that's a testament to your character as well that you didn't as much as you feel like you gave up you actually didn't give up Mm. and okay (laughs) sorry I do get a bit emotional um I must say, yes, good moms don't go to rehab, but then maybe good moms also go to rehab when they need help. So they yeah. can be great moms to their kids. So well done. <laughs> hey. I mean, it's such a big thing to just get help. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, I must say, Linda, it was, it was uh, my, one of my biggest fears actually going was, I was like, what are all the moms going to say about me at my son's school? It was such a big thing for me. but. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be around today if, if I didn't go because of fear of what others would say. And because um, I wouldn't, they told me I wouldn't have made it another six months. Wow. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I think, again, like there's just this stigma around addiction and eating disorders and alcoholism that needs to be broken because there are people that are hurting out there. And they are so scared to ask for help because they're scared of what people are going to say. So I think we just all need to be a bit more loving, a bit more kinding, a bit more kind. And what I was going to say is like, I'm, I'm not trying to say that you encourage that sort of behavior or enable it. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot enable those sort of people, or people like, uh, like ours. That's why I'm so open about my experience. And I share a lot of what's going on for me because um. I just hope that, you know, through my story and what I sometimes say, I can just help inspire others to say, okay, like, oh, I surrender. You know, God, can you take the wheel for a bit? And, you know, through that process, there's always a solution that comes because when we try to control the world, it it just doesn't, it doesn't work. No, that's very true. And I must say, for example, you found a sponsor. And Andrea was there. So if there are people in the community like you and Andre who are safe spaces for people who are in those situations, then they can come and talk to someone who's been through it and understands. So I think it's good to talk about it for sure. Yeah. Definitely. And um, I'm going to pivot. I know we didn't have this on our list, but you also mentioned um, uh, post-natal um, depression, postpartum depression, which is another issue that women deal with all the time. And sometimes women have kids and they don't understand what they're feeling or why they're feeling it. They actually don't know that this thing exists. So how did you handle it and find out that you had it? Um, so, I was, so I was 21 when I had my son. Uh, I was living with my parents. 
And um, I, I thought it was because, and his father wasn't involved. And um, so when I met Dave, now Dave's my husband and Leo's dad. He's an yeah. amazing man. He adopted my son. Um, yeah, he's just really one of those people that he's just very special. But before I met Dave, I was, I was on my own with Leo. And I mean, I thought that it was because I was a single mom and I'd see all these families with their babies. Then I was like, uh, you know, I don't have that. No one's going to want me. And I, I thought that's why I had it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I just, I couldn't really, I wasn't sleeping because he had colic and um, I was trying to study and I was working at the same time. And I just felt like I was failing. You know, that was mm-hmm. the bottom line. Like I was like, I'm failing as a parent. Like this child only has me and I'm failing. And um, I put so much pressure on myself. I was like, tried the sleep training. I read this baby sense book. I did the breastfeeding thing and I tried everything. And I was like, but he just didn't sleep. And yeah. instead of me going like, okay, my baby just doesn't sleep. He's hyperactive like his mother. I was like, oh, it's all my fault. And I've got this bad energy. And oh, he's going to be messed up because I'm messed up. And, you know, like just kind of putting my whole life into this little baby. Yeah. <laughs> instead of looking at him like his own person that's just like also got it's his little spirit you know in this little vessel this baby little vessel body (laughs) and um he's 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 got his own little journey um but I was like taking that all on and making it me and that's what I was saying earlier us like how we try to play God yeah (laughs) you know but yeah, I mean, I, uh, my parents were amazing. Uh, like I said, the running helped me hugely. That's how I actually started running was because of that. Okay. Thanks, Joe. And then I've got another question again. So you mentioned some stuff um, about when you were a teenager and you mentioned that it's not talked about, but this is very common uh, for our teenagers that drugs are easily accessible and things like that. And they get into addictions at a very young age. Now yeah. I'm a mother of an 18 year old and a 17 year old. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. No, um, I'm, I think I'm lucky because my kids mm. do tell me about all these things and about what's happening at school and who's doing what. So I think I sort of have an idea. But as a person who was a teenager, what sort of things do you think parents should watch out for? So, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is that like you say, you know, you've got an honest and open relationship with your kids. I think that's the most important is like just letting your kids know that they can come talk to you about anything. And, you know, I'm not criticizing my parents. Like they were, they were very loving and accepting, but, you know, I, I felt like I had to present this like perfect child and um you know I don't know it's I just think for parents like again it comes down to like not putting your stuff onto your kid it's like letting them be their own person and live their own journey and just be there to listen to what they're going through and love them but also learn to detach with love if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so so let them like be able to express themselves and not be scared because yeah, I think a, a lot of the time, well, for me as a teenager, like we were, it was all fun and games and experimenting, but it always goes like one step too far and you do it and you're like, oh, I know I shouldn't have done that. Or like, I actually really need to tell someone, 
you know, but because of the fear, you don't, you keep it in and you just keep doing those things and then it becomes worse and worse and worse. Okay. All right. Thank you. And (laughs) another thing that I sort of made a note of as you were talking is you did say people don't know a lot about alcoholism and the fact that it's a disease. And I read this somewhere, I heard it somewhere that it's actually almost a genetic disposition. So four of us could have a beer, but for the person who is genetically disposed, they will most likely get addicted. I don't know if that makes sense. So as much as we're experimenting, it doesn't, the experimenting doesn't affect everyone the same way. For someone, that experiment is actually the gateway that will get them into an addiction, something like that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I think, so a lot of people do say it's genetic. I don't know if it is or if it isn't. I don't know if there's any, like, scientific proof of that. But what I do know is that you're 100% right. Like, one out of four of us, and this is, like, going back to, so, for example, going back to, like, teenagers, so myself and three other girls would be sitting there having a drink, okay? They will have like one or two more drinks like a, like a normal person and I'd be grabbing the bottle of vodka and downing that because of the way it makes me feel. So, you know, it's it's almost like a, um, yeah, you're 100% right there, but it'd be like one in four people and you just don't know if it's going to be you or not, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you're all drinking and it's social and fun, but one person out of that group will not react like everyone else. Like one person will try a drug or experiment with a drug and instead of saying, okay, that was cool, let's move on, they'll be like, oh, I need more, you know? Like, yeah. Why is that feeling gone? And, yeah, I, I don't know exactly how it is. <laughs> and, but I, I, a part of me does sometimes think you're born with it because if you speak to a lot of people that have been through this, they remember feeling different from a very young age and reacting to things very differently. Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, we are born, I think we're all born with different dispositions, hey? And sometimes you think your way of seeing the world is the same way that everyone sees it, but people see the world very differently. That's so true. Okay, so now we're actually going to talk about running, but... Thank you so much. <laughs> but running is actually as much as we say running, running is not just running. It's not, it's not just straightforward, like just running. There's, yeah. there's, there's so much more to it. So after you spoke to Andre, then what made you decide to sign up for that hundred? Okay, you basically I think that seed was planted when you watched that movie already. Yeah, no, no, that was like yeah, it was definitely planted. Like, even though the, in that movie, they ran it in 2017 when the conditions were so bad. It was, like, rainy and cold. And I was like, I don't like the cold, though. So, but anyway, I watched that movie. And then, yeah, then I went into treatment. Then I came out of treatment in April. And I was like, no, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for something so that, like, I can motivate myself. So then I signed up for the Parkview 50 Miler. And then, like, training was going good. I was feeling strong. Um, and then it was Ngani River Run in August. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to go for the 75. And if I do it well, then I'm actually going to change my entry to the 100 miler. So, so I did the Ngani River Run, the 75. And I did it in, like, 10 hours or 9.55 or something. Yeah. And um, I was the second lady, okay, which was cool, but I, I don't even think there were many ladies running. 
But anyway, I was like, no, man, I'm going to change my. So that weekend, I contacted Andrew and I was like, Andrew, can I please change my entry to the 100 miler? So he was like, okay, okay, cool. So um, I had only been running for six months and then I did the 100 miler. <laughs> and like my dad was freaking out because he was like, he was like, what if you don't finish and you relapse? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to relapse if I don't finish. Like, please, I'm a bit stronger than that. <laughs> so I was like, so then I was like, okay, now let me do this thing. And wow, like the first 80 Ks were like cool, but like, oh my gosh, that turnaround point at BNB. Yeah. I mean, that, that rest of that run, that was just run like with my head. Like my body was not ready for that distance. Like my, I don't even know how it worked, but that was all like mental strength. And, um, yeah, geez, I somehow, well, actually, again, I had an amazing crew. My husband was seconding me. Andre was there, my mom, um, my son, my dad. Even two of the counselors from my treatment center were my pacers. Oh, that's <laughs> And um, yeah, it was cool. And then, yeah, they managed to get me to the finish line at quarter to eight. So it was a sub 24 and I got a silver buckle. Yeah, so I was like, I did that. And I was like, hey, like maybe I can do this running thing. You know, I think, um, I do think I'm blessed genetically. Like my mom and dad are both like really like strong and fit. My dad was like in the merchant Navy. My mom does iron women, men, whatever they're called. So I think I'm genetically lucky, but I think that combined with a very hard head and I can be extremely stubborn. Uh, Yeah, it was just a good combination for for an ultra runner. (laughs) So, oh, and I've been through a lot of pain before. So pain like is kind of natural for me (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so so then yeah from that I was like I did uh, the Stutu Ultra and I came second and I think sixth or seventh overall um then trail season ended and I did road running and I like I came sick I won I won a marathon and a half marathon the Hillcrest Marathon and the Kuzni half marathon and then yeah and then I think then it was COVID and kind of all plans went out the window, but mm-hmm. that was last year. And um, I did a, a, a pacing the, the way to change, which was a, a fundraising run for the Southern Lodestar Foundation in November. And that was 130K. So it was 130 represented uh, what it cost us to feed a child. Yeah, I mean, the whole thinking behind that was during COVID, like I remember sitting in my office and I was like you know I, I can't bear to think what some of these kids are going through you know a lot of these kids and especially the, the rural areas they go to school to get a meal yeah you know they don't get fed at home um or they go to school to get away from the the people who are hurting them yeah and you know now they stuck at home with, with the the abusers and um yeah it really like it it, it bugged me hey a lot and I was like I can't go and rescue all these kids, but like maybe I can run or do something to raise funds that we can just try donate porridge to where they need it most. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that that was that was the thinking behind that, and I did that run in November. And it was also like a really hot day. I don't know why I do all these runs in like really scorching heat. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then um, I don't know how I don't look ninety. Like my poor skin. I was gonna. I saw. I saw on your Instagram um, post the skin product. Was it your story? And I was like, sorry. And I was like, okay, I need to find out from Joe about the skin thing because I know after Carcliffe, I came and I put like a face mask on my skin. 
Because we have to look after our skin after no, giving no, the sun like that. I was like, you know, I don't want to be like, you know, like you see some people that have been running after their whole lives and they look like lizards. Like, I don't want to look like a lizard. <laughs> no, we have to look after our skin. The sun is terrible. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. now I've been layering cream on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and then, yeah, so after that, then it was tw- 20, you know, it was this year, 2021 already. Yeah. And um, what happened this year? Oh, it was UTD in April. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, that was hectic. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's when I, I got to know about you when I saw the okay. UTD posts. Yeah. So tell us about yeah. UTD. Yeah, I mean, that was, um, so the first 70Ks is run in Lesotho, and that's like three above three above 3,000 meters above sea level. I said that right. <laughs> and yeah. you also climb to the highest point, which is 3480, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. um, which is Tabana Tletiana. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was an incredibly difficult run because of the altitude and the terrain. But it was very wild, and I loved that. Like, I just loved that it was so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just sometimes think, like, the more hectic something is, the more I enjoy it. But then coming down, like, Sabana, I think, yeah, I was was in high spirits, I was feeling strong, whatever, and I I jumped off a rock, and I heard my ankle go. And I knew I hurt it quite badly, but, like, I kind of, yeah, I kind of just limped along I, I used my poles and I just kind of kept that foot off the ground mm-hmm. and then when I got to Sony backpackers that was a 70k mark um the paramedic was there and she took my sh- my sock and my shoe off and it was I've never seen my ankle like that it was like blue and the whole thing it like was so swollen it was so bad and um she said to my husband like Oof, I don't know if she can carry on so I was like no it's fine just strap it up and like put another sock on and a shoe so I don't have to look at it anymore and like let me go <laughs> And um, yeah, and then off I went, and yeah, it was it was really sore for a long time. Like I actually felt quite nauseous every time my foot would like hyperextend. But um, uh, I think after running on it for like twenty k's, it kind of got better. So yeah. I think eventually your brain just says, you know what, you're doing this. So foot, come on, play play ball. She's not stopping, and the foot's like, okay. <laughs> um. So, yeah, and then at the 100K mark, I met, I didn't have any paces for UTD, but at the 100K mark, uh, I started running with Alman Duplessis. So, yeah, he he was really, it was really cool to be able to run with him. He's a really wonderful guy, um, wonderful spirit. He's got something about him, you know, one of those people that actually have have a spirit that you want to be around. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we ended up running together and finishing in, in 30 hours and six or seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for me, that was the first time I'd done something and actually hurt myself, but pushed through. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, after that, I said to my coach, Linda, Linda Doak, I was like, yeah, no, um, I'm, I really want to do well with ultra running. I said, I really feel like I, I'm built for it, you know? Yeah, I mean, then I've just been training really hard and I've done a few shorter things in between where, where I've come first. Um, and uh, then, yeah, car cliff happened. Yeah, I had my goal. I had my goal and um, it was very hard. Like what I wanted to do it in was very um, optimistic. <laughs> but you know, I, like I say to, I often say to my coach, you know, I'd rather reach for the moon and if yeah. I miss, I will be amongst 
stars, <laughs> then then like go lower, you know. So yeah, so so that that was that. <laughs> so so, <laughs> so Joe, please can I have some of that grit? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well you're gonna have to go through free rehab. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, let's talk about being a mom and a wife and being an ultra runner because I know that it takes up a lot of time to train and stuff. How do you manage the workload and everything? Oh, you know what? It was so funny because the the night, the day before Kakluf, um, I I had had a lot going on at work, and I had like this big quote to to do, and then my son had this appreciation day at school, and then um, I had to sort out my stuff for Kakluf, and then my son was having he's eleven, so he's yeah. going through some a weird age. Like it's <laughs> so different. Like he's super happy and he's super angry. Like within two seconds. Like, I just don't know. Um, so I got home at like four in the afternoon and I was just like crying, like sobbing, 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 sobbing. And my husband was like, oh, my gosh, what is wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not coping. No, no, no. He's like, you are coping. Like, it's fine. Tomorrow's the race. Like, you've done everything you need to do. Like, just relax. And um, what was hysterical was in Linda interviewed me after I won. And um she was like asking me things and I was like, you know what, when you get the balance right between training, work and family life, it's amazing. And like Dave and I were watching this and I was like hosing myself. I was like, but I don't have it right. Like I was crying the day before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what he said? He's like, you know what, love, you are getting it right because you're doing it. You know, yeah. it's just hard. It is hard sometimes. And I think that's the difference. It's like just like saying, yeah, I'm doing it, but it is hard. And I sometimes do just cry and like say, I'm not coping. And, you know, sometimes I don't want someone to say to me, you are coping. I want them to say, oh, you're doing amazingly well. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but but then that's just me being a victim and like I want to be a martyr and it doesn't work, you know. So I think like for me, what I I try to do is, so okay, I wake up at half three in the morning, which is like, bizarrely early and um I I train and um, I normally train quite a long time and then I'm at work and then sometimes in the afternoons I do a bit of like a you know recovery training or uh I also do AA meetings which I try to fit in and then Sundays are, are I don't dress I mean I don't train at all I take as rest days so Sundays are totally dedicated to family time yeah so even if I've got like back-to-back long runs, I'll do them like I'll even wake up at three in the morning on a Friday and do my long run from like hoppers three to like hoppers five, six, and then go to work um, and then do my long run on Saturday. But I always keep Sundays open for family days. How do you manage the like running on your own so early in the morning? Do you do it on your own? Do you have a group? So my week, my week training is by myself. Um, I'm very lucky. So there is an estate that I where I work and I run in there, which is quite safe. Okay. And then we also live on a farm and like the dirt road leading up to it. Um, you know, there's like a boom gate and stuff. So, and we all know each other. So I, I feel very safe. You know okay. where we are. Okay. So so yeah. Okay. No, that definitely helps. I wish I could. Okay, in my perfect world, I would wake up early and do all my running in the morning. And then take my kids to school 
but I struggle a little bit with that morning thing. But maybe next yeah. week when I start running again, I'll try. Yeah. Because you know what? That's the only way. Yeah. Go you've ahead. just got to do it for like two weeks and then it, it becomes like a habit. That's it. Like just like make you make yourself do it for two weeks and then it becomes so natural. Okay, so that's a challenge for me to start running yes. in the morning. Yeah. I will I'll message you at four o'clock in the morning every morning and say, Are you up? i'll do that okay i can i can be that person (laughs) but when when i'm allowed to write i'll I'll message you and i'll be like joe i'm allowed to write now and then okay it'll be go okay that sounds like a plan i can do that okay (laughs) awesome awesome and then um what about Load Star Foundation. I'm definitely keen to hear more about that. So I've seen you wearing the shirt. I've seen Carcliffe post about it a couple of times. But what is it all about and what sort of work are you involved in there? Um, okay, so I don't uh, I don't work for the foundation. Um okay. I, I work I work for a company called Millhouse International. Mm-hmm. Um but Andre Redinger is the founder of the foundation. Mm-hmm. And um we so we both in recovery and our a part of recovery is being of service to others. So what I love about the foundation is that it's based on, it's just, you know, we need to be giving our children the right nutrition in order for them to go to school and learn. So, you know, um, I think Andre did Marathon de Saab and he was like three days into it and really struggling and he was just dying for something like nutritious. And, you know, he started thinking about these kids that have to work, walk so fast to get to school. And then they get there and they, they don't have the right vitamins or micronutrients. And now they expect it to, to learn, yeah. you know, and it's these little things that we take for granted that, you know, like if you think about what we get into our diets, when we go to the supermarkets and we buy like our lettuce and our greens and we've got our meats and all of that's got our vitamin A, our Bs, all of that. But a lot of these kids, they are getting, you know, they're getting a very basic maize meal. Um, and as much as that's fortified with new, like micronutrient vitamins, it's not enough. And so that's when, you know, the A plus porridge was developed and it's got your vitamin A, uh, which is very important for eyesight. It's got your B, I think three, six, nine, twelve, um, C, uh, zinc. I mean, it's got a whole lot in it, but they were basically through the porridge, they get, I think it's something like 60% of the nutritional, um, the, the, the vitamins, the requirements yeah. in each day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, the feeding program. Um, so, which I think is amazing because I, I do believe a big problem in our country and the rest of Africa is it's, it's just really education and, and people not just, you know, not being able not been given the right opportunities because of of poor education, but you might be able to improve that education. But how can you then expect a child to learn on an empty stomach? Yeah. So it like all just goes so hand in hand, you know. Um, and so it's just something that I believe in. It's something close to my heart. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. Um, I'm not sponsored by the um, uh, foundation at all. Um, I just wear the shirt because of, yeah, I, I just love what they're doing. And, you know, they they do sponsor a lot of the athletes, the 
that are extremely talented. And um, I think these guys have an opportunity to really show the world what South Africa is made of, you know. Why have you seen him run? He's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like that guy is just like he is so in control. He is so calm, and he is just so talented. And you know, someone like him hasn't had the opportunity, or you know, um, what many of us do have. And so the foundation also has the dream team, who they then help in terms of, you know, financing these sort of races and clothing. So Carla, um, she she manages the teams and she sorts all of that out and does all their nutrition. And, you know, she's amazing. She's really great. And, um, yeah, she's really passionate about what she does. So it's just, yeah, it's an incredible um, initiative. And, yeah, I just think if we could all do a little bit to give back, it would really make a big difference to people that really need it. Because, we, you know, we go and get a cup of coffee every day. You know, that's that's like 10 meals. That's 10 bowls of porridge. <laughs> I'm actually so fascinated because I didn't know that um, it wasn't that expensive, the bowl of porridge, if you think about it. That's yes. not a lot of money. No, it's not. I mean, so I think it's a, a one kg bag is, 19 rand if I'm correct and um the portions for the children are 50 grams each so it, it works off to 130 wow okay I'll definitely yeah. put a link in the show notes um if people want to donate or help in any way I think that'll be good yeah that would be amazing yeah okay all right and Joe what are the plans for the future any big plans so, um so this week I'm planning not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need no, to joking. cry as much as you need to. <laughs> no, I'm actually like, you know what? It's so funny because whenever I run these big races, I always have like a really bad dip. Yeah. And um, like I've been saying to my husband, like I'm just waiting for it to come and it hasn't come. Like I feel really good. Yeah. So I'm just like waiting for it. <laughs> He's like, Maybe it won't happen. I'm like, No, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. I know. I um, yeah. Yeah. She's so terrible. <laughs> so um, I think yeah, in the short term, I will be attending the Drakensburg Grand Reverse, I think, in November. Whoa. Yay. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah. That's super exciting. It's going to be an adventure. And like, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, I would really like to get the FKT, but yeah, who knows what happens. Yeah. Um, and then next year, I haven't actually really started planning too much. Um, yeah, I think I'll just um, take things one day at a time for now mm-hmm. and uh, get probably closer towards the end of the year. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, this is, I think it's very exciting. I always like when us girls are out there doing it. It's, it's pretty cool. And I think it's yeah. such a good example for the younger, younger women and the younger girls to know that you can set a goal, you can train and you can achieve it. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, geez, uh, I must say like, I. Uh, I was a little bit cross with myself actually at the end because someone said to me, do you know you were coming second overall at one stage of the race of Carcloof? And I was like, what? 
<laughs> you were. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, and I was like, peace, that would have been so cool. But you know what? It just wasn't meant to be. And yeah. that's okay. But just the fact that I got there, like, it's really motivated me. Because now I'm like, you know, why do we put these limits on ourselves? Why are we like, oh, you know, she's a mom and she works and she's a wife. Like, she can't train more than 45 minutes a day because then she's not doing this, that, and this, or whatever. You know what I mean? At yeah. least you can be an outrun and you can kick butt and you can still do the rest. You know, you don't have to fit into a box. Oh, I love because, that. Yeah. You know, the box sometimes just isn't big enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely love that. That is so true because it doesn't mean that you uh, become a mom and a wife, you stop being Joe. Exactly. You still have to be you and everything that makes you up and that makes you a better mom and a better wife anyway. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about before we move to the fun questions. I think we covered everything. Yeah, I think so, hey? Yeah. Okay. So here are the fun questions. So what is the craziest thing you, you've experienced as a runner or an antidote that only runners would understand? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if I want to say it because it's so bad. Well, it but depends. Is, I've heard okay, pretty bad ones. Okay. So we've all come back from an ultra with only one glove. <laughs> yes <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say okay <laughs> okay <laughs> see I understood it you didn't even have to say anything else no, you see r- and anyone listening to this that's a runner will know right away <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly I love it and what's your favorite race or a race that you would recommend Sure, hey. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I haven't done that many races, so it's, it's quite hard to say. I definitely, um, I really loved UTD. I really did. I love that race. And you know what? Parkview's also got a very special place in my heart because it was my first ever um, ultra. And, you know, for me, it was very symbolic, you know, going from the darkness into the light. And just, I think the, the overall, um, the energy of the, the race and the vibe is just so incredible. You know, so I'm definitely a, a, the longer, the better. So I would have to say those two events are, are my favorite so far. And I actually wanted to ask, would you consider doing UTCT or you'll be, you'll be busy oh, yeah, with the Traverse? So maybe not this year. Yeah. So it's, it is my dream. I actually was wanting to do it this year. Um, but, oh, you know, Linda, also, so I'm not sponsored. So, um, oh, yeah. You know, you, you know how these things are. They kind of like add up and stuff. So, yeah. I also just had to look at it from, you know, as much as I say you want to be a runner and your mom and wife, but you also have responsibilities at home and, um, like, you know, financial responsibilities. So, um, I had to kind of put that on hold. For, for this year, but I definitely would love to do the the UTCT next year, the 100K. Okay. Someone should sponsor yeah. you, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Hey, some race organizer could just phone you and say, Joe, we'd love you to come run. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? Also, it's like I've, I've also just learned um, not to have expectations. 
And, you know, whatever will be, will be. Because in, I must say, after UTD, I did have expectations. And when they went meds, I was like, I was quite upset. Yeah. But it's also, that's like, a, that's an ego thing. Like, I had to put that aside and be like, why do I run? I run because I love to run. I don't run because I'm trying to get sponsored. And as soon as it kind of started going more towards that side, like, I stopped enjoying it, yeah. you know. So I've really just got to maintain my sense of um what's the word, uh, like grace around it. And yeah, like whatever happens will happen and it will happen in, in, in its time, in God's time, the universe's time, not in Joe's time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the only way for sure. And then what about a book recommendation? It can be a running related book or any book in general. Oh, okay. So I must say, I think one of my favorite running books is Eat and Run by Scott Jurek. Yes. Oh, I love that book. And then there is another book that I've been listening. So I'm sorry, I don't read. I'm a very bad reader, um, but I do audiobooks and I do a lot because I, yeah. I listen to them while I run. Um, yeah. So it's called The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. Okay, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. It is really, really good. So, and the other one is The Spirituality of Imperfection. Okay. Yeah. I highly recommend those. I'm writing that down. The spirituality of? Imperfection. Okay. Like Catherine Ketchan. Ketchan. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what about a movie or TV series that you'd recommend? Okay, so I'm a sucker for like comedies, like really bad comedies. (laughs) So series without a doubt, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. (laughs) um, what's the other one I love I like um, uh, what is it Parks and Recreation yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then movies anything anything with Will Ferrell and okay yeah coolness yeah and where can we find you on social media so I'm on Instagram and Facebook and I've also started a blog okay yeah, I'm actually going to be writing about car proof and my experience. I'm going to do it in the next week or two. Awesome. Okay, so I have all the Instagram. So your Instagram is Joe underscore Kepler, which is K E double P L E R. But I'll I'll have all the links in the show notes for anyone who wants awesome. to follow you. Yeah, yeah. So Joe, I really really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Um. I I feel like it's such a privilege when someone opens up and I get the privilege to just sit here and listen to it. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, it's it's such a pleasure. And thank you for having me. Uh, For me, it's, um, it's part of my service to be able to talk and share my experience because in sharing, I hope that I can help somebody else, you know? So yeah, thank you, Linda. It's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Joe. Okay. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Running Voyager. Here's to a week full of great adventures. Cheers.